Podcast Network. Well, well, what? We're not actually going to discuss this, are we? <laughs> <laughs> This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 141 for the week of January 16th, 2017. I am suspiciously non-reflective glass, David T. Cole, and I am here with headstone cipher, Sarah D. Bunting. Numeri ex machina. Well, well, welly, well, well, dweller, Tara Ariano. Well. <laughs> and sassy oh. landlady, Nick Reinwell-Jones. Why don't I bring you a nice cup of shut the fuck up? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Extra Hot Great. This week, we are here with frequent guest and friend of the show, Nick Ridewell-Jones. Hello, Nick. Hello. Hi, Nick. Good to be here. Hey, Nick. We brought Nick on so that we can talk about the season and possibly series finale of Sherlock with our best friend, Cinnamon Toast and Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cinnamon. Nick Reinwell Jones, you covered Sherlock for us on the site. Uh, fourth season finale. What are your overall impressions? Um, overall, I would say for for this season, I thought it was quite good. Um, I was real disappointed with the first two episodes for different reasons. Um, but this one, I... Like my my very favorite episode of Sherlock of all time is um, the season finale of episode of season finale of season one, uh, the one where Moriarty keeps you know setting all the traps for Sherlock and or he has to like solve all those like mini mysteries to like save the people and stuff. Um, that one just hits my pleasure center for like what I think Sherlock should be, and I thought this one was like a new take on that one, like not a not a super fresh take on that one, but but similar. So I still enjoyed it. Like I last uh the third season finale with uh with magnus and i was like i I was real disappointed with that too because like it again it it first seemed like it was going to be like oh this guy's gonna put him through all these interesting uh tasks and stuff and then it was just like nah like sherlock's gonna get shot and he's gonna shoot the guy um but uh but this one i i thought like it it kept kept things moving enough and had like some interesting you know twists and turns along the way i was real mad about the uh the girl on the plane uh but that was not enough to uh undo my enjoyment of the of the episode generally all right so let's go up the scale so tara i think you're next i don't know it was fine i i have to say sherlock is a, is one of those shows that i enjoy it while it's happening and it immediately leaves my mind forever exception noted the episodes with moriarty which i liked because I, I really like that actor and i enjoyed those more but it's sort of been it it hasn't been the appointment television, you know, obviously it's ridiculous to say that about a show that has had like ten episodes in total yeah. <laughs> and was off for like over a year, like whatever. You know, the the impact that the show has on my life is minimal, but it's like the born identity where it's like, eh, it's fine while it's happening and then I don't necessarily need to remember anything about it or care that much while it's happening either. I don't know. This is the sister thing. Bringing her in belatedly seemed weird. And the, the way they wrote around like how her parents didn't know that she continued to exist. Yeah. Like even in the context of this show is like a little bit confounding, I guess. And I also didn't think that actress was that great. And no. just because you're a con- you're a criminal doesn't mean you can't have conditioner, by the way. But um, 
especially yeah. when she's running the place. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I, I'm I'm definitely less mad about it than Sarah. So I think she's next. <laughs> um. Yeah. I guess mad is maybe overstating it a little. Done. I'm done. Um, I hope the show is done because, uh, as Nick said elsewhere in his coverage, not of the finale, but I think of the first installment of the season, that it seemed clear that they'd run out of ideas. Um, And he also mentioned in his finale coverage, like, hey, if this comes back, how about let's not do the, like, personal family side of shit because... Who cares? And mm-hmm. we don't need yeah, another you just SVU. solve a regular goddamn mystery again? <laughs> yeah, thank you. And it doesn't have to be 90 minutes or 75 minutes. Like, if you're done after 54, like, you're British. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> let the stretching, let Americans do that. But I turned to my husband while I was watching this and was just like, this this sucks, right? Like, this isn't good. And he's like, yeah, no, it's it's not good. First of all, this is a minor thing, but like, either you can have this Euros have the same hair and styling as Samara from the ring, mm. or you can put my man Watson down a well. Not both. Because <laughs> otherwise well, this, it This needs... one ripped off like everything from like the last 20 years of pop culture. Yeah, it just needed to be way more ringy or not ringy at all. Um the actress was annoying. Um, Moriarty was not used well. It was over-edited um, and then under-edited. Like, we all, like, we all know he's not going to kill. Like, no one's going to get shot in that standoff, so whatever. M- move it along. I have no idea what, like, Palace of the Mind were even in half the time, and I don't like i just didn't care it just seemed extremely contrived and like the kind of super be all end all super villain that a grade schooler would make up because she has no ideas left and that's what i just keep coming back to that it's like just let it be a procedural that's mm-hmm. like it founded the genre so just let it do that like she well, yeah, needs I mean, a sister first... who's not canon, who's even smarter than him. Like, let it be a little believable. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, everyone on the show is smarter than Sherlock because they keep having to make it more interesting. <laughs> Dave, how do you feel? Uh, this show definitely suffers from the uh, inverse enjoyment law of escalating villains. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. they had a pretty good villain with Moriarty and the way that he was slid into the show. Um was well done while the show was getting its footing with mysteries of the week. You know, Moriarty was here and there until, you know, that came to fruition and that was a good way to do it. And then as the series progressed, you know, every case was about Sherlock in some way. Uh, and that became less enjoyable. Um, and in this episode where, you know, this whole conceit that Sherlock and company have to go through the, crazy you know detective sister version of a wario world game you know like all these little <laughs> mini games um <laughs> well that's what it felt like you know it Love was just it. like the writer's room you know had a bunch of like you know cute uh you know index cards with puzzle ideas and let's make an episode out of this how are we gonna do it we'll string them together blah 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 like i know nick like that i don't i don't enjoy that um anyways getting back to the girl on the plane you know, there, there's there's a huge gulf between letting the audience 
solve a part of the mystery through clues and then just like making it impossible for the audience to put that together. Like that was totally a POV switcheroo that in better days, this show could have led you in on. And I feel like this was just like, like it was just like a red herring of sorts. And it just didn't feel right for the series. Like, you know, this uh, series is about the world's greatest detective, uh, Batman, no Sherlock. And, (laughs) and it should have been more of that. And the more they get into Sherlock's personal stuff, the less it seems like that, the more out of character he gets um, and the less enjoyable it is. Like you look at the tone of this season versus the tone of the first season. And the first season was like much more rompy, a lot more fun. Uh, Sherlock was, uh, you know, a very giddy, happy detective junkie. And this one, you know, is it's inevitably as these series go on, they feel like they have to change the character in some way, show some sort of, you know, not necessarily growth, but some sort of transition from from A to B. And, you know, if you got somebody who is energetic and frantic, well, then usually the way they go to show change is going to be darker. And it didn't really do it for me. Um, and this last episode was just so fucking jam packed with a whole bunch of shit and so much of it, not that meaningful. And so much of it about stuff I don't really care about, which is this whole new family element introduced at the 11th hour shoehorned into the rest of the series. Like, Oh no, Moriarty actually here's the Uber Moriarty that was pulling Moriarty's strings while being totally out of character for the Holmeses that are canon and who we do already know. Yeah. Like, I don't like Mycroft, like gagging when that guy killed himself. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Isn't he supposed to be like the coldest blooded motherfucker on the planet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is like, I can see maybe since he holds himself responsible for this and it is this like whatever Freudian family of origin shit. If you did like the episode, I think you could make that work for you. But I just like those scenes kept going on and Mycroft just was getting twitchier and twitchier. And I'm like, yeah. that guy? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask, what was the like... <laughs> What was Eurus's plan for if everything did not happen exactly right with that grenade thing? Because like she had all of all of this other stuff she clearly had planned for like years. And then she's like, okay, but I'm also gonna almost blow them up, but I'm not really gonna blow them up. Except she, like, under any form of like logical procession of that scene they all would have died and then she would have been like oh shit i well okay <laughs> come and unhook all the tvs i guess <laughs> um, but like well like they they i mean this is just something the writers do where it's like oh it looks like she was trying to kill them except that was all part of the plan and then this was all part of the plan and then that was all part of the plan and then like it, it does get ridiculous after a while and also she's like troy mcclure explaining the you know the 20th season of the simpsons back in you know and strange <laughs> mystical powers you know like it's the great kazoo <laughs> yeah. coming to sherlock and she somehow can you know the hypnotic snake from uh you know what was it robin hood is that what it's from yes in, in disney yes. Oh, the big yeah. eyes yes. you know it's like all right well i'll do whatever you say <laughs> how through methods and it's just basically the introduce the wizard to the show and it's so unlike a show that's usually a lot smarter and a lot more careful and deliberate with uh, all the chess pieces moving. And I was like, wait, she's a wizard. 
that's not Sherlock. That's a different show. That's like, you know, that's more of, um, uh, what do you call them? You know, bonkers TV kind of yeah. thing, you know, like yeah. it's, it's something yeah. more akin to, um, like American horror, horror story writing or something like or that. Sleepy hollow. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Ryan Murphy watches this show and is like, yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah. But I, I do really get the sense that like they're at the end of the road as far as like taking the really good source material and converting it into a modern story. Um, those were for me, the best episodes, the ones that were obviously grounded in previous yeah. work and, you know, sort of put that spin on it. I really enjoyed them. Yeah. You know, it's always tough when you have a show that starts off so good and you're so into, you know, it's easy to forget now, like how much Sherlock really visually changed the way people deal with nonverbal data. Yeah. I mean, like the texting on the screen, so many people have ripped yeah. off. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, that's the first time I remember really seeing that in a big way on TV and it's been everywhere since. And, you know, when you look back on that now, it's like easy to forget how season one, how like what a uh, a breath of fresh air it seemed. And now with this finale, it, it's a lot staler and it's, you know, it's a shame, but that happens sometimes. And it's kind of strange that that happened with this series, considering how much source material they have to work with. Yeah. And also Stephen Moffat writes uh, Doctor Who, which just like, which has like a much higher volume. And he just, I mean, I don't watch that show, but I know he just like keeps writing that and keeps writing it. And it seems like with this one, he just ran out of steam so much faster where he's like, well, I either have to just like completely upend it or like, that's it. I'm out of conventional ideas after like four episodes. Mm -hmm. Well, do you guys think maybe there was a little bit of, um, I'll just call it Sopranos disease because I can't think of another example, but I'm sure there are, you know, they're myriad um, that it, the show like kept exponentially becoming more and more like looked forward to and prestigious and the actors on it more and more high profile between each season. And then maybe Moffat and the writers just felt like because it's been off for so long and because cumberbatch is like on a magazine com cover somewhere yeah all the time we have to make this like really big and really over the top and give them a full range of like emmy real <laughs> things to play so that people feel it's yeah. worth their while and then inevitably it's going to disappoint because there's this feeling of like desperation in how how like best it wants to be and i sort of remember that like after every soprano season finale after like season four or season premiere excuse me that it was like hated it no <laughs> one died like well okay but it's been off for 18 months i think what you might be saying is that in the beginning of the series it's quality seemed it seemed effortless <laughs> you know like they made it look easy being that good yeah. and then as it went along they were trying too hard like that's part of it yes and also that it's partly that and it's partly, I mean, it's partly our expectations sure. after the delay, but then there's also a response to that happening from the creator yeah. side that's anticipating that. And together it's not a good results that they might feel like they can't just go back to Conan Doyle and be like, well, let's just take a sort of yeah. middle of the road story and update it. It's kind of like Lucas, the prequels. You just like, it's too much. Like, you know, you don't need to have four droids in the background, you know, <laughs> playing chess or something like that just because you can do it. Like, sometimes less is more. Sometimes a more considered approach pays better dividends. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same kind of thing you see with, like, bands that have, like, a really successful album. And then after that, they don't want to do anything remotely like that 
again or like a you know movie director like has some success and then like the next movie is like really weird and bad because he was like well i don't want to you yeah. know i don't want to repeat myself and i think like they're they had this challenge to you know do a modern version of sherlock holmes that like utilized the source material but was modern and still like like faithful to its to the soul of it and then they did that and like it was amazing and then it was like okay well we accomplished that so now what like they that that challenge wasn't there anymore so i think they were like well let's you know now, now we have to come up with new ways to challenge ourselves and i th- think most of those challenges failed yeah i agree <laughs> what what's so funny <laughs> it's just it's a very sad eulogy for a show that was very good one <laughs> yeah i mean i, mean, I don't still, disagree it's, it's delivered really good stuff like periodically along the way but yeah i mean it, it, it after a certain point it was definitely like well they're they're just not interested in doing that anymore not to romanticize the early seasons but we all remember like you know the first and the third episodes of each of the beginning seasons yeah were the ones and the middle ones were like it was very new it was very innovative it did feel like something that we hadn't seen before and i think also at that time even like power tv users like ourselves were not as familiar with um like British product or European mm-hmm. product and how it compares favorably in many ways with American procedural product as we are now. So it really did feel new and exciting and really good. And, you know, the anticipation was definitely earned, but you know, it's a different, we're seven years on now. Yeah. So I got, I got one final thought, which is one another reason why this last season bothered me is this show is so much less fun when Holmes and Watson don't get along. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it is the soul of this show. Yeah. And they took that out of this season. And they also did in this season, the thing I hate, which is dead characters talking to living characters. <gasps> I yes. fucking hate it. Oh God. Oh, that is the it's worst. Old. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts before we move on? R.I.P. Moriarty. He's the one I'll miss the most. Yeah. yeah. I know. Me too. And also, they, it seemed like they miss him too, obviously, with the whole, like, bring, you know, coming up back with with this whole flashback in the finale. But, like, and literally it, miss me. Right. And literally miss yeah. me. Like, yeah. yes, we do. But it's like, you made the choice to kill him off. Like, either bring him back for realsies. Like, I'm sure you could come up with a way to do it. You did it with Sherlock. Or let him, you know, stay dead. Quit teasing us. Like this can't be your VC Andrews moment all the time. <laughs> Either he's dead or he's not. You yeah. know. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's an excellent segue, Dave, uh, into the Blotter presents. I have a couple of items this week. First of all, uh, looking back at is OJ innocent colon the missing evidence yes that appears to be the final title that investigation discovery went with uh i had a new show fact sheet on previously.tv last week in which i said that this was surprisingly good and i was in for the full six episode run which is taking place as you're listening to this it completed it last night um But I also mentioned that I thought it might be because I expected this to be a horrible, cynical, trashy, like ugly to look at um, ambulance chasing six hours of TV. Uh, Having now watched the middle two hours of it, uh, it's it's reverting to investigation (laughs) discovery mean, I'm sorry to say. the premise of this show is based on investigator Bill Deere's book, um, 
O.J. Simpson is innocent and I can prove it. His theory is that Jason Simpson, O.J.'s son from his first marriage, uh, did it or was there when it was done or helped it to be done, but is involved somehow. Um, the problem is that he and his team, which includes uh, Rhode Island Police Sergeant Derek Lavasser, who you may know as the winner of Big Brother 14. Okay. <laughs> Which I, yeah, I think was like not the racist one, but the season before the racist one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't watch that show. Didn't recognize him. And when I Googled him, I was like, oh, that explains, you know, the rock they found this guy under. Guess the money didn't go that far. Um, The team is looking at this evidence that like could be determinative, except they sort of they sort of base these conclusions that they're like, well, because this time card was altered, that means that he definitely could have done it. And then they kind of bounce from that conclusion to the next conclusion. But the problem is that, you know, a, there is no physical evidence, not that that couldn't have been compromised, but there is no physical evidence to suggest that he was present. And there's always another explanation for the evidence that Bill Deere is insisting means that Jason could have done it. And it kind of reminds me of the prosecutor in the Jeffrey McDonald case who was like, well, I don't have to prove that he's the kind of guy who could have done it because I have blood evidence that proves beyond a reasonable doubt that he did do it. So the show it's, it's better than it should be still, but it's um, reverting to it's going sliding back to that ID you know week c slash c minus territory um we'll see what the last two hours bring you can see my coverage of that on previously.tv um i'm definitely hoping that this uh beware the slender man documentary which is coming out on hbo next week does not suffer from these same problems i don't think it will hbo's true crime documentary coverage is almost uniformly exceptional and in fact i would say the jinx was like on the weaker side of what they've done. And I liked the jinx a lot. Um, But I believe we're talking about that program next week on extra hot great. And I'm really looking forward to discussing it with you listeners on the forums at previously.tv. So set your DVRs if you have HBO. Yes. It premieres at nine Eastern on Monday. Dear Mr. President, there are too many States nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I am not a crackpot. I think if a show did crossover episodes with other shows and is in syndication, the network showing the syndicated episodes should not show their show's half of the crossover. Let me use an example to illustrate. Law & Order did crossovers with Homicide, among many other shows, and all the Law & Order networks show the Law & Order part, and we never get to see the Homicide part again. I do not expect the networks to buy the rights for those episodes of Homicide, I just want them to not show the law and order part. (laughs) This applies to all syndicated shows with crossovers, of course, NCISs, CSIs, the other law and orders. Even when the other show is aired on the same network, like NCIS and NCIS LANUSA, they are never synced up. So it's just frustrating. How hard is it to pull these very few episodes? Can you imagine the future chaos with the Chicago series, the fire (laughs) mad PD and the superhero shows? I am not a crackpot. Thanks. That was from Amy, one of our uh, moderators on the forums. Uh, I can't argue with this one. It is frustrating when you get into one half of the story and sometimes you forget 
Like, you know, like I'll watch an old show, like Law and Order show I didn't pay super duper attention to. And if it's on and it is like, for instance, that homicide crossover, you don't, re- I don't really realize that at the start of the episode until mm-hmm. somebody, and you're like, yeah. oh shit, I'm not going to be able to see the end of this. And what is surprising to me about this is in the internet age where detail is everything, where people are just really mad about stupid little things, this is a big thing. In a world where we argue about whether a special belongs in season two or season three, when you put it in DVDB or something like that, <laughs> yeah. that this sort of thing happens seems like an oversight, a mistake. There is some mid-level VP-ish manager at these networks that hasn't really realized that it is customer service to either as she says, avoid the issue or, you know, even miracle upon miracle, close a loop and actually show the other half. Well, especially with Law and Order, where every episode is like, they're not really serialized with, you know, with few exceptions, like there, it wouldn't ruin your enjoyment of a marathon if one episode just lifted out because they don't like, they don't, you know, episode 12 doesn't really relate to episode 13 in any particular way. And, and the other thing is like akin to this, and this is sorry if this is like a side crackpot thing, but the other thing that bothers me <laughs> is like when a show is in super heavy syndication and some of those super stations or big local stations will show two episodes of something a night, but not necessarily back to back. Yeah. Sometimes those are like totally separate. Oh points. yeah, they're on different. They're on like different season tracks. three and season eight. Yeah, totally. So you watch one and then like, oh fuck, I have to remember the tune in at the same time tomorrow, <laughs> as opposed to just waiting half an hour until the next one. Yeah, like I don't know what they're thinking there. It's really annoying. As long as we're just airing grievances with syndication, TBS for some reason does not have the rights to all of the episodes of Friends, which is more serialized than huh. anything. So like sometimes you'll be watching, you know, they have a four in a row block. And they'll just skip over one that, if you know, even if you're only a casual watcher of the show, you know, like, well, what happened with that big fight Ross and Rachel had? Oh, I guess we're just never coming back to it because we're three episodes later for some reason. It's really, I bet. It's really weird. No, I, I don't want to spoil it, but uh-huh. I, I bet they break up but, <laughs> and or get back together. Listen, this isn't for me. I know what happens. <laughs> anyway, I'm done. All right. Well, while we're up. Sure. Here's my program parole board grievance. <laughs> just get the fucking rights to homicide already. Somebody. Honestly. How yeah. much could they cost yeah i mean i know david simon's like king shit of tv insights mountain now but <laughs> dude free him up I because of all those beatles songs they used <laughs> God, but it's true seriously. they used to show it on like e or something right what did we No, lifetime we used to watch yeah. it when we lived in la like in the 90s um, yeah and then they moved it to um before they turned this into a spanish language only channel there was the universal channel oh yeah yeah and I they would that. show it on and also out of order that they'd be like, it's all the ones that this character was on, like in a mm-hmm. row, which made yeah. no sense, but it was better than nothing. Yeah. It's the Reed Diamond six pack. Nick, do you have any crackpot objections to syndication? Uh, Well, I, you know, I don't watch those procedurals, so right. I haven't really seen most of those episodes <laughs> that you're talking about. I was That's thinking bullshit. about... <laughs> I was thinking about the crossovers that I am familiar with, um, mainly the Buffy and Angel ones. Oh, yeah. And I like a couple of those because uh, actually I didn't start watching Angel right away in the first season. I waited a little bit. So I, I remember like the, the Thanksgiving episode of Buffy was the one that led into the I'll Remember You episode of Angel. So I didn't see that one for a while. And it didn't really bother me. Like I didn't feel like, oh, there's 
there's a big sequel to this that I'm missing. Like it was just like, okay, here's Angel and Buffy's world. And then the next one's going to be Buffy and Angel's world. The one with Faith um, in, I want to say in season four of Buffy and season one of Angel, where she, um, after she leaves Sunnydale, she ends up in Los Angeles. That one's probably a little more of a direct sequel where you are kind of missing something if you're not seeing the second half. But like for the most part, it seemed like they, they tried to do it in a way that like you weren't, you weren't like actively missing a big part of the narrative if you only saw one or the other like if you only wanted to watch one of those shows you could see it and it was like you could see a full story arc without having to like watch the other one nick ridewell jones tool of the industry (laughs) (laughs) but she's amy is is definitely right about all of the cw superhero shows because they do crossovers all the time so i'm sure if you're only experiencing them that way which i don't know why you would like get hulu but or whatever get the cw app but that must be extremely frustrating for people who are just like watching arrow on tnt or whatever yeah but i gotta wonder for the newer shows that were created in the era of streaming and looking towards a iptv only future Mm -hmm. that it'll be easier for those shows because they will live on a cw controlled uh you know entity of some sort whether that's an app the site some new thing but it'll be something that the cw will carry forth through perpetuity you know or and or with syndication, but you'll always have the option to watch it in a very linear way if you want to. Yeah, Whereas, probably. you know, a lot of these shows from the pre-internet era, the rights are so messed up that you get things like a quality show like Homicide that people would watch the shit out of at two o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. but it's not available and they'll show one half and the other half. So it's, it's just a mess. So I, I think it'll get better as we go along. Probably so. But when you said two in the afternoon, I just I felt like I heard a little sob come out of Sarah. Like, that's exactly what I would watch. It. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it is time to go around the dial. Our first stop, Tara Ariano. I'll keep this fairly brief. Um, yeah, we've. Pardon? You do that. <laughs> we've uh, we've given NBC a lot of shit for carrying water for certain political candidates, but I have to give a shout out to Late Night with Seth Meyers. They're a closer look series, like a long, you know, segment that usually comes right after the monologue in every episode. Um, has been savage oh my god like for all the all the praise that samantha b gets for like her take no prisoners style i guess because she gets to swear and be bleeped more like i've been pro samantha b in recent episodes but like that last one she did before the holidays where she sat down with glenn beck honestly made my skin crawl and dave can attest that while it was like two minutes in i turned to him was like oh i hate this (laughs) i really it was i i I understand the theory of like all reasonable people have to be on the same side but it's like that's that's fine in other times of our lives but a it didn't work with the rally to restore sanity slash fear and it's not going to work now like there are sides pick one there's there's no there's no middle anymore quit fucking around but that's a digression. <laughs> Seth Meyers is really on point. He will call Donald Trump a racist in in that word. It's just a taste of crazy oh socialist Tara. Holy shit! You guys <laughs> do not know. <laughs> I'm time for another Tara. I'm crazy. Poor Dave. I've started <laughs> recording so many daily news shows, and then like when he's sort of around, and then I have to not like that I disagree t- with no, no, the general no. state of things and what you're saying. But, <laughs> but oh my gosh, god, it's twenty four seven. I 
know. I'm sorry. That's really to the point where I have to be like, all right, I'll turn this off because I can't be in the room with you while I'm yelling at Ryan Priebus on TV. It like, really, it you really, don't deserve this and neither do I. If I may, a quick tangent. <laughs> it really seems to me like the same hesitancy I had for a long time to have ancient aliens on in the room at the same time as you. Or, if I may, <laughs> Star Wars Rebels, which is a kid's show, but I watch because it's got like little stuff about Star Wars in it that is, is interesting and backstory and stuff. Oh, but, you know, like when Tara comes to the room, I'm like, oh, I have to pause this. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. Just on my phone. And I feel like that's for you. It's like, yeah, you want to watch it, but it's so ridiculous. So much of the time, it's just people shouting and it's just like, yeah, it's, and it's infuriating because it's like you're bashing your head against the wall. Anyways, please continue. Uh, anyway, I just want to give a give praise to late night with Seth Meyers. If you don't stay up to, that late to watch it, I understand. But um, all of the segments usually of uh, the longer scripted bits are on their YouTube channel. And I certainly try to um, put them up as internetwork notes on previously.tv when they happen, particularly the a closer looks usually go up like very early. They tend to put them out sometimes even before the actual episode aired. And last week he interviewed Kellyanne Conway, the former campaign manager for the Donald Trump presidential campaign. And it was like they interviewed her. It seemed like about a half an hour before that, or sorry, after that CNN story leaked about this dossier that everyone was talking about last week, you know, the dossier I'm talking about. Um, and even though he didn't bring up some of the specifics from the BuzzFeed story, it was it was all off the CNN report, which was much more like reserved and even handed. And he did not let her give an inch. And it was great. So um, late night with Seth Meyers, great comedy bits. And he's really turning into an excellent interviewer. So praise for them, particularly versus SNL, which has become increasingly terrible last week's weekend update where they were like, saying Donald Trump was great because he made reporter looks, reporters look like nerds. Like, no, Michael Shea, that's not what's going on. Please, you are not qualified for this quote job you have. Unquote. I don't watch Saturday Night Live, but has there been a week that that guy hasn't flubbed the line? No, he's fucking terrible. He, Still, he and Colin Jones are both awful. Like, yeah. the Weekend Update used to be consistently my favorite part of the show, and now yeah. it's like basically unwatchable. For my plug, uh, <laughs> if you want to hear more for ranting plug, like this. Socialism. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Socialism. You come by it honestly. We're Canadian. The death of capitalism is coming, everybody. Get on the right side of history. God. Okay. Shut up. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> All right. Um, I uh, wanted to mention a few uh, Netflix comedy specials that I've watched recently that I really liked. Um, and, and one of them, actually, to uh, go right off of what you were just talking about, I agree that Michael Che is terrible on Weekend Update, but if you... If, if that's all you've seen of him, you should really watch his Netflix comedy special called Michael Shea Matters because no. it is fantastic. And like, that is the, that's it. That's him in his comfort zone. Weekend Update is clearly not where he like wants to be, but he needs to be for the exposure. But him just like doing topical stand up for an hour is fantastic. And, um, it's really funny and really clever. And, uh, I think, uh, Netflix is, is really doing a, a good job with, uh, with putting out a lot of these, uh, interesting, uncensored comedy specials uh that um kind of kind of eating comedy central's lunch now i think um another one that i just watched is uh jen kirkman's new special uh which is called just keep living question mark <laughs> and uh the, the uh, spoiler alert pro the the title refers to the fact that she actually got uh matthew mcconaughey's famous quote tattooed on her ankle <laughs> 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 on an impulse um she just she's one of my favorite comedians and she just keeps getting better um the, this this special is really fantastic 
Uh, and another one from the archives, which actually was a Comedy Central special, but is now on Netflix. Um, if you've been enjoying Atlanta um, and you haven't seen this before, or you have seen it but want to see it again, um, Donald Glover's stand-up special called Weirdo is on there. And it's actually much longer than the one that was broadcast on Comedy Central a few years back. There's a lot of material that wasn't in it. So um, that one's also uh, very much worth a watch. And oh, and lastly, um, Garfunkel and Oates has a special. I unsuccessfully pitched them for the canon last time, but if you want to see them doing like what they do, which is just their songs and stuff, um, they have a, a special called Trying to Be Special. It is a, a meta special about them trying to raise enough money to make a special. And uh, that one is, is a lot of fun too. And then I just have a quick rant. Um, FX, get your shit together. It is because speaking of Atlanta, I'm I've still only seen the pilot because you can't fucking watch anything else from that season, either on demand or on their app. They just don't want you to see it once it's aired. And I don't understand that tactic at all. Um, I don't know how I'm supposed to watch it uh, other than flying to England, which maybe I'll have to do. Um, I there. Their FX Now thing is completely useless. Like, you go on there and it's like, hey, we have three episodes of How I Met Your Mother, which wasn't even an FX show. Um, and nothing you actually want to watch. And then uh, they and then they take stuff off of On Demand. And uh, I so further to the discussion about like, oh, it's a streaming paradise now and you can watch everything you want. Actually, I think this is like the dark side of that where uh, it's it's kind of going back to the to where we were in the uh, – in the syndication only days where you just had to hope that somehow you'd be able to watch it. That's really weird. I wonder what the case is for artificial scarcity for a TV show. That's odd. Because like, it's not like anyone's going to buy the DVD box sets anymore. Like that, what, like at least, at least in that era, like in the DVD box set era, like you knew like that was how you could catch up. And like, it was like, Oh, I missed an episode of 24. Okay. I'm just going to wait for it to come out on DVD this year and then I'll buy it. And then I know that I have them forever. And like now you know, all these shows that you assume you'll be able to catch up on on Netflix, like the next day it's gone from Netflix or the next day it's gone from Hulu or you can't watch that episode on Hulu. So um, I'm not a crackpot. Uh, <laughs> getting back to your comedy stuff for a second. Uh, do you subscribe to CISO? I did for a little while and then just didn't find enough worthy yeah. on it. Yeah, we um, just I, joined last week watched a bunch of stuff but then i totally forgot it was there yeah. <laughs> well yeah. we started watching stuff and the stuff's on the home page and we started we fired it up and it's like a six-year-old just for last montreal you know uh festival cut up into a bunch of episodes and i'm watching it it's like that joke's weird that's that seems like a little you know it's either a little soft or a little hard and i'm like and it slowly dawned to me like, oh okay this is like super old and why is it on the front page if it's this old it yeah like, there yeah. was a dion cole bit and he's easily like 35 pounds heavier than he is on blackish <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we also, speaking of Netflix comedy <laughs> specials, though, we watched the Jim Gaffigan special that just came out last week too. Cinco, and so brand new. It was good. It was uh, I mean, it's you know, there's no point saying it was uncensored. He, he doesn't swear a lot, but it was it was very funny. He had a lot of bits about uh, about his kids and how he hates them. Although the intro it. was long yeah, and pointless, it was it was like well, it felt intro. longer than it was. It was only about a minute and a half when we had to start it over again because really Dave fell long. asleep. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, Do I'm not a crackpot, but comedians can stop it with the filmed yeah, just mini come out. movie. No intros. one cares. Get to the stand up. Nobody Don't, gives a shit. Even John Mulaney did that with like his dog, which yeah. was at least cuter, but like, still, like, just get got- to it. One Louis C.K. in the universe is quite enough. Thank you very much. 
Anyways, back to Nick. What's your plug? Yeah, sorry, Nick. Uh, so my uh, my behind the scenes TV podcast, Making the Sausage, will be coming back pretty soon. Yay. Uh, Yay. I I don't have an actual date yet, but um, hopefully within the next few weeks. Um, yeah. I have. Uh, a couple of really great episodes uh, that I think you'll enjoy. One of them features a friend of the show, Heather Mock, who used to be a story editor on America's Next Top Model. Yes. So if you want to hear some really cool stories from the early days of ANTM, uh, definitely tune into that one. She um, also on that show was uh, her friend Grant Rickard, who has worked on a lot of other reality shows. And we really get into the nitty gritty of like how piecing together a narrative out of footage works and you know when it's when it's fair and when it isn't fair and just uh you know kind of the the whole process and that was her, a, that her was a really first fun one to do actual tv gig outside of when she used to write for television the pity was what was the wrestling show tough tough enough, enough. Tough, tough enough, enough. <laughs> yeah and that's yeah. the show that they both worked on together and so they talk about that one too yeah cool awesome um, uh yeah. so even though we don't have a release date uh what's the twitter uh pay uh, twitter account they can follow to uh, you can follow us at at sausage podcast and uh you will see all the news there when it comes out pretty good sarah d bunting um, since the election in November, I have found myself, I wasn't even aware that I was doing this, um, until my husband pointed it out, um, in the week between Christmas and New Year's when we were watching nothing but British crime shows on Netflix when I wasn't reading biographies of Wallace Simpson and Edward Yates. So apparently I'm in this like state of denial where I'm like, oh, I, I wish that we had a monarchy and... Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, that's been my uh, that's been my programming, particularly uh, wartime British crime shows that uh, that give me some perspective on like you know some people have real problems. At least bombs aren't falling on my boarding house. <clears throat> <laughs> to that end, I recommend Foil's War. There's like nine seasons. Each one is ninety minutes long. It's very, it's like soothing without being boring. Like you can fall asleep to it, but you don't have to. The lead actor, Michael Kitchen, um, is fun to make jokes about. There's also a character. Oh, he was in the Bond movies. Is, or the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, there's also a character, Sergeant Paul, who comes in, like he's hired as a foil's assistant. Um, because and he'd been uh he'd been injured in a in a bombing and uh so in the beginning he's in bed and sort of like i don't need your pity and foils like you kind of do get <laughs> you know get get a leg and come work for me and then in the next one he's in a wheelchair and then in the next one he's on two crutches and then it's one crutches and that one crutch and then a cane so we're like midway through series two and we keep like speculating that in series four he's gonna show up in it in goggles with a jetpack on <laughs> and it's just gonna be like these long gadget legs where you only see the legs like that character in police squad the end of the series anyway three it's... legs <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Alfred Merlina uh, on uh, on what's it called, where he always has a different. Oh, uh, Andy Tribeca. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. Totally. Prehensile tail. Um, yeah, it's it's entertaining but not challenging, and it's typically sort of a British show. Like these actually look like actual people. The you know procedural elements are all in place, but it takes place at this stately pace, and there's also a lot of like mid-century decor porn. If you like that kind of thing, another um, way that I've been 
uh, hiding from the current state of the world in television is on the PBS uh, Apple TV app. The American Experience section has very long um, biographies of almost all of the presidents since like Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, and there's something about that cadence and like, at this point in human history, George H.W. Bush, like, they show the footage of him barfing on the Japanese prime minister, and I'm like, best president ever! <laughs> like, anyway, so there's, like, a lot of history stuff that you can, like, bathe yourself in and just try to, you know, remind yourself that not everything uh, is terrible. <clears throat> Speaking of not terrible, uh, I mentioned this last week, but our guest, Nick Reinwald-Jones, will be my and Mark Blankenship's guest on Mast Ass. Mark and Sarah talk about songs, which actually was Manstas. Ah. That'll be dropping uh, tomorrow, as you're listening to this, uh, Thursday, the 19th. Sure. Uh, We'll be talking about another bad creation, and I'm very excited to discuss that with you on our Facebook page, which is mastass.podcast on Facebook. Very good. Follow up from Will Dave Hate This Frontier. I watched the first episode last night when I couldn't fall asleep. Uh, I have to apologize to everybody involved because uh, we didn't know until after the taping that this is actually it, it aired a Canadian show, guys. <laughs> it was developed oh. by Discovery Canada in conjunction with Netflix, whatever oh, dear. that means. Sure. But having known that and having watched it, it really does feel like a Canadian show, guys. Uh, to those unfamiliar, I know I've mentioned it a long time ago on this show, but Canadian television, they have to un- operate under what's called CanCon laws, Canadian content laws which is you know because we're a small fish and very big pond when it comes to entertainment uh the uh broadcasters in canada the shows they show as an aggregate have to have so much canadian content subject matter actors talent production companies all this sort of stuff has to be based in canada and this is definitely one of those shows because it's you know about the fur trade uh back in ye olden days of uh of your basically that's what what this means is that if you you can cast jason momoa but it means that your entire rest of your supporting yes. cast all was on degrassi <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and uh it's not super terrible but it's not dynamic and engaging and and sort of a it doesn't really feel as rough and tumble and dangerous as I thought it was going to be. And seriously, the lead, he's hardly in the pilot, which is a mistake because he's obviously the most interesting character. And I last two weeks ago, last week, whenever that was, we were talking about it. I was like, how did he get cast? And apparently he's supposed to be half Irish, half native, half first peoples. So, uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, it's just about the Hudson Bay company trying to uh, claw back, from competitors eating into the fur trade and uh it is uh just kind of like a steady flatline b kind of show which is like a plus for canada usually but (laughs) it's it's like a c minus for netflix Uh. when compared to their other (laughs) offerings so uh i didn't like hate it actively hate it but i doubt i'm gonna go back and and watch more because it was just you know very bland so we will have a new show fact sheet from Daniel McEachern. Uh, Canadian Daniel McEachern. Canadian Daniel McEachern. <laughs> on... Also, Cour de Bois. 
Yes. On Thursday of this week, he he tells us that part of it was filmed in Newfoundland, where he, in fact, lives. So I'm sure there'll be lots of inside insider info. Probably Ooh, not really. I can't believe and they poutine. went to McDonald's down on St. John's Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. You know what time it is. It's time for the canon. Nick Reinwell Jones is presenting this week. Take it away, Nick. Hello, I am presenting Happy Endings, Season 2, Episode 16, entitled Cocktails and Dreams. Uh, at first, I wasn't going to submit this because I just assumed, based on present company, that there were already like a zillion Happy Endings episodes in the canon. But then it turns out that there were only two. So I was like, let's get a third one in there. Um, I say uh, very uh, pompously, assuming <laughs> but we'll see. Um, this episode is all about what happens when Dave turns his food truck, stake me home tonight. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership, and you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! into a mobile speakeasy which is called very cleverly stake me home tonight and spirits <laughs> um <laughs> as it turns out he's actually doing fantastic business right from the start which is a shock to his friends who assumed that it would be an instant failure much like the vast majority of his other ideas uh i will point out that it is 100 impossible that dave who as far as i know does not even have any bartender training whatsoever could possibly be serving craft cocktails to this many people at once uh <laughs> but sure we'll we'll let the show have that one um so the as the episode starts the gang arrives at the speakeasy and sees how things are going and that is our first clip wow <laughs> whoa <sighs> guys can you believe this no we can't <laughs> horse bath uh yeah david i did take a horse bath okay I had a one-night stand, and I didn't have time to shower. So, did I rub some dryer sheets on my pits and splash some water on my hush in the bathroom of an all bon Yes, I did. I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm a modern-day single woman who enjoys sex as much as a man. Sue me. I meant the drink. Horse bath. It's gin-based. No, thank you. I'm on a cleanse. I haven't had sugar in four days. Well, that probably explains the Sandra Bernhardt one-woman show you just screamed in our faces. <laughs> <laughs> by the way i got uh i got a chance to see casey wilson do a monologue at a charity event last year and to my delight she is basically just penny in real life like that <laughs> character is her she t- like those same little like flourishes of all like an obampant like the, she 
totally like does all those in her, in her nervous speech. I was, I was so delighted. Um, but anyway, as she referred to, yeah, she's in the middle of a, a crazy zero carb cleanse and Alex has decided to join her, but we'll get back to that storyline in a minute because we have more pressing matters to deal with. And by that, I mean, Jane is having sex dreams about Dave and she tries to hide this from Brad, but he knows her too well, as we'll hear in this clip. Wait a second. Hmm? Who'd you have a sex dream about? <laughs> dream of sex i i did not have one of them damn things i think i know your wake up from a dream gasps by now all right there's the oh it's the last day of school and i wish there were more days of school then there's a oh i'm being chased by an outfit that's too matchy matchy and then finally oh sex dream fine it was dave he doesn't mean anything fat you can't have a sex dream about someone unless, deep down inside, you're attracted to that person. Um, didn't you have a sex dream about Fran Sinclair, the mom dinosaur on the TV show Dinosaurs? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Brad tries to confront Dave about having sleepy time sex with his wife, only to find himself falling under Dave's spell before he wakes up with a gasp of his own. Uh, and meanwhile... Alex is trying to take her cleanse to the next level. She's throwing out pretty much every food item in the house, including rat poison, which she thought was pirate cereal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Super pumped about it. But Penny is maybe not feeling so enthusiastic. And Alex notices that in our next clip. Are you sure you're okay, Penny? What? Yeah, fine. Why do you ask? Because you're wearing pajama jeans, pedicure flip-flops, and you're on the verge of tears. I will have you know that these are not pajama jeans. These... Uh, And that takes us into our third storyline, which is about Max's uneasiness with the level of commitment he's approaching in his relationship with Grant, played by the always excellent James Wolk, also played Bob Benson on Mad Men um, and many other uh, many other roles. Max considers himself a player. He doesn't like the idea of spending the night at Grant's house, let alone anything resembling settling down. And he definitely doesn't want a frittata, at least not until he finds out what a frittata is, at which point he definitely wants one. Um, <laughs> this is my least favorite of the three plot lines in this episode, just because it feels a little too serious and after school, especially dramedy ish compared to the overall happy endings aesthetic, which is normally just like, so just like not caring about anything emotional. Um, but it also seems like it's supposed to be setting up this character arc for Max getting more mature, which obviously never pays off in future episodes. I mean, thankfully, but it's, uh, it's a weird, like stutter step. Um, and not that I would expect it to on a show like this, but I could be slightly more forgiving of that shift if if it were actually leading to something bigger, but, but it isn't. Um, so anyway, back at the mobile speakeasy, Penny finally breaks her cleanse by chowing down on a sandwich and guzzling one of Dave's cocktails. Um, and she begs Brad and Jane not to tell Alex that she broke the fast. And that's fine because they have a secret of their own to confess, which is that they're all having sex dreams about Dave. And Penny thinks it's gross because Dave is like their brother. But lo and behold, that night she has a sex dream of her own about him and she doesn't seem to mind it too much. Um, the next morning, uh, the three of them get together for breakfast. And that is our next clip. Oh, my God, you guys, I had a sex dream about Dave last night. <gasps> so did we. It was even more graphic this time. He made me keep my heels on. Mine was like that scene in Varsity Blues, but <laughs> instead of winning the district championship, Dave had sex with me repeatedly. <laughs> How was that like Varsity Blues? John Voight was coaching us. I don't want you <laughs> oh, mine was disgustingly <gasps> graphic, too. Dave! Penny, will you marry me? David, yes, 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 a million times, yes! <gasps> uh, just 
and not at all revealing of my subconscious desires. <gasps> Do you guys realize what's happening? What? Dave is Freddy Kruegering us in our dreams with sex. Yoga! <laughs> What do you think of this sweater? It's from Colin Hanks' new clothing line. Anyway, I might invest. Stop undressing you with my eyes. Why are you guys acting so weird? <laughs> We're not. I have no idea what you're talking about. I think I know what this is about. You do? Yeah. You guys think that just because I'm on this crazy rocket ride that I'm going to forget you. Well, I'm not. Even when I'm invited to awesome parties thrown by, like, Scott Storch or the guy that started American Apparel. Ew, what? Yeah. Yeah, right, guys? That, that's exactly why we're acting weird. <laughs> I would say that clip, and sorry for it being a little long, but that is just a really good uh, encapsulation of everything I love about this show. Just so many great jokes packed into like a little over a minute. Some of them verbal, some of them visual. Um, the what you didn't hear was was uh, Dave walking in and like an exact replica of Freddy Krueger's sweater with a with the top hat on and everything. Um, <laughs> a, uh, a Varsity Blues reference that I howled at, despite never ever hacked. That, despite never actually having seen the movie, um, and even a solid drive-by at Dove Charney. And if you have been listening to this season of the Startup Podcast, you know he deserved even more than we could have imagined when this episode originally aired. Um, Alex finds out about Penny's secret carbathon in the messiest way possible, and that one is entirely visual, so I can't clip it, but that one is fantastic, involves a ceiling fan and lots of syrup on the floor. Uh, so she decides to ditch Penny and commit herself even further to the cleanse lifestyle, as we'll hear in this next clip. Hello, filthies. Look who I ran into at my new favorite vegan eatery, Cafe Thankful. Ah, uh, <laughs> Namaste, Penny. Turns out we're both into cleanses. My cleanse is pretty next level. I'm only eating clear foods and have given up all sexual intimacies. That's right, y'all. Avi celibate. Are you sure that's a choice, Avi? Huh, good dig. But jealousy is not a sweatpant that fits you well. Burn! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please, don't touch me. I'll explode like a water bottle on a cross-country flight to Albuquerque. Where's that flight from? JFK. Get out of my bedroom. <laughs> I, I'm like half sure that that, like, where's that flight from JFK was was an ad lib between them, but um, which, which would make it even better. But um, anyway. Um, so, and also the... Um, the cat- the Cafe Thankful is a takeoff on Cafe Gratitude, which you haven't, if you haven't been to LA, Ugh. is the fucking, like, the Barf. LA-ist of all LA institutions. I mean, even though it comes from San Francisco originally, but, like, it is it is a, like, fully vegan eatery where every menu item is called I am something. Like, I, if you like, want to order the spinach salad, it's called, like, I am beautiful. And you you order it, and then the the, I would say the waiter or waitress, but I think they're almost all waitresses, will say it back to you as... You are beautiful. Um, so oh, God. That, there, there is just like no limit to the amount that that could be um, could and should be made fun. Not of. Not even my morbid fascination with like seeing that in action could get me to actually <laughs> have to experience being in the same room as you know what I mean. Like there was such a <laughs> yeah. a, a tug and a, like a gravity well of interest, but just like repelling me like nothing else could at the same time because it was like kind of close to us it was like the next neighborhood over yeah when we used to live in la one of them anyways and uh i would like just walking by it once in a while I'm like, oh. <laughs> it was just terrible yeah fucking hippies <laughs> um so that night everyone confesses their sex dreams to alex who is the only one not having them for some reason and they finally figure out that the reason is that dave's fancy cocktails are the culprit uh spoiler alert turns out they contain turpentine um, <laughs> which I think was was probably an ingredient back in Prohibition days. Um, 
but still, this is not enough to get Penny to stop drinking them. Um, they all disappear before Dave can come and say hi to them, and Dave is upset at first. But guest star Colin Hanks, playing himself magnificently, uh, has some wisdom for him, as we'll hear in this clip. Colin, you're going to love my entourage, man. By the way, I'm kind of this Sean Brumber in my group. So. Nice. Wait, what? Wow, they left? Dave, listen, there are two things I always say. One, yes, that hangs. <laughs> and second, fame doesn't really change you. It changes your friends. You're so right, Hanks. Go, brush your shoulders off. You got new friends now, like me and my intern, Beans. Yo, man, I'm Beans. Hey, hey, do you have any cocaine? Please. <laughs> I didn't notice until this time watching it that he only says please after like Colin Hanks like kisses it, like gives him a look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex finally leaves the vegan cleanse group when she finds out about the group sex component of it. And the whole gang tells Dave about the sex dreams, which explain why they've been acting weird toward him. And everything goes back to normal with one exception, which is that Dave and Alex are now having sex, but not in the dream world. Cliffhanger. Um, so there's obviously a lot I love about this episode. I, I I had to just like slap my hand to keep myself from clipping another dozen or so scenes. Um, <laughs> and like Happy Endings at its best, it's just incredibly dense with jokes and visual gags. Uh, but I want to point out one thing that this episode does particularly well, even compared with other great Happy Endings episodes, and that it's actually it uses Dave effectively, which is uh, fairly difficult on this show. Uh, there's There's been a lot of other shows like this where the person who's like the kind of supposed to be the main character ends up being the pierce and uh that was that was pretty clear on happy endings from the first couple of episodes um he existed to kind of be the premise for the show i mean he and alex did um but then like the the writers clearly wanted to go a different way than the network did i mean sure like the the way they sold it to the network is probably like oh it's about this busted marriage and then how that affects the group and like that's ultimately not what the show's about but um but sometimes you have to do that to actually get it through. And so the, the writers, you know, pushed it in a more edgy direction. And that edgy, com- that edginess comes out more in the ensemble cast. And then the, uh, the, the like supposedly it's end up not really like, they don't really know what to do with them as much. And I don't think Zach Knighton is a bad actor or bad at comedy, but he's definitely a victim of the fact that like happy endings ditch that premise after a few episodes for the better. Um, Because it works much better as an ensemble comedy than as like a rom-com centered around these two people with just some friends on the sidelines. Um, But I think they, they really did never figure out how to incorporate Dave into the ensemble very well. And they didn't seem to have that problem with Alex because they just made her kind of broad and goofy. And I think Alicia Cuthbert does that fine. Um, but Dave was always kind of like threatening to be a bit of an albatross on the show. So the fact that they do use him really effectively in this episode and without trying to like retcon him into a more interesting character than he actually is, um, I think that's that's a real point in its favor. And like maybe part of the reason that works is because the whole sex dream storyline mostly involves other characters talking about him and then the part of the episode where he is front and center he's joined by again the amazing colin hanks playing himself um and i don't know how by the way i don't know how controversial a statement this is at this point but i would say colin hanks is my favorite hanks um because i feel like he's the <laughs> parallel universe version of tom hanks who didn't quit doing comedy in his 30s and like if you know if only tom hanks had like you know thrown in a few comedies in the era where he was like, nope, I'm just going to win all the Oscars. I think it would have, we'd all be better off, but like we get to see that now with Colin Hanks. Um, 
like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Max's storyline in the episode. Um, it's just not quite silly enough to fit in with the overall aesthetic, but it does still have some funny moments. And overall, I think Cocktails and Dreams is Happy Endings at its best, and I would like to see it in the canon. Can I go first? I'll sure. just be quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so Happy Endings, this episode is what I like about a sitcom for the most part, uh, which is it can be funny and still have a, uh, some heart, but not coyingly so. Uh, for me, like you were saying earlier about Max and that storyline kind of being the outlier as far as quality goes in the storylines for this episode, I do agree with that. And it's sort of like the difference to me between parks and recreation and 30 rock, uh, mm-hmm. 30 rock yeah. always was very funny all the time. And park and recreation, you know, kind of had, uh, the touchy feelies a lot of the time. Um, it was still funny, but it wasn't like funny, funny, you know, like for me, like I like 30 rock much more than I like parks and recreation. So the zany part of happy endings, uh, appeals to me and you're totally right. Like this is like a, uh, a character growth blip for max. That was totally not addressed further on and probably shouldn't have been in this episode. Um, but otherwise, quality episode filled with some really great jokes uh the one visual thing that or uh, audio thing that you get every time somebody has a sex dream <laughs> start making out what is that song by the way baker street thank you um, Yeah, i didn't know the name of that song until I, it's I, I believe let me just confirm yeah but you know it, it, it's it just really tight topical uh high yeah. uh jpms for sure and uh, sometimes, you know, just making you laugh a lot is enough. And, you know, the question is, does one storyline kind of kill this as a canon entry? Is that enough for uh, this not to meet it? Stay tuned. Sorry. <laughs> Um, first of all, I just, I feel I have to rehabilitate the record of the great Thomas Hanks. Um, he, while he did do those, Philadelphia and Forrest Gump and Apollo 13 were all back to back to back. They were, to be fair, bookended by A League of Their Own and Sleepless in Seattle were both pre-Philadelphia and Toy Story. The first one was post-Apollo 13. So it's not like he quit comedy. Nick. But I. He's also David S. Pumpkins. And he was David S. Pumpkins. Well, yeah, that's that's the Tom Hanks rehabilitation project for me. Seriously. Uh, My favorite Hanks is Thanks. Yes, T. Oh. Indeed. Um, but I agree. Colin Hanks is very funny in this in this very small role. He really sinks his teeth in. And I, I like it when a celebrity is willing to do this in a way mm-hmm. that doesn't seem not to keep shitting on Louis C.K., but like that, the, <laughs> that there's a lack of vanity to it. There's yeah. like, yeah, I'll, I'll come on and look like a douche because the joke of this for Colin Hanks is that, like, first of all, you don't expect him to be a douche because he is a Hanks. But second, like at this point, we didn't really know anything at all about him. This was like exactly. pre, yeah. pre-season one of Fargo. Deal, yeah. Um, I agree about the Max storyline that it's not the best um i do think that it comes up again that he wants kids though because there's i think there's a future episode after this where he's um babysitting his niece and nephew with penny and she's terrible with kids and he's good with them 
Okay. No, you're. I mean, Dave, you're but right. He's always, like, it's not, he's always a flighty character. Yes, of course. It's yeah, not like right. this is a, a this is his goal in life. Right. Like he's not dating yeah. guys to try and find the one he wants to settle down yeah, and have right. kids with. But as someone who you know is as everyone who's listened to this podcast one time before knows, <laughs> we are not having kids, and so I appreciate it that even in a sitcom, that choice is treated as valid, and particularly for a same sex couple, because I don't think I'd ever you know seen people not be on the same page on that issue or like it's rarely even discussed i feel like other than on shows like modern family where they already have you know they're already starting the family whatever this is a side issue just a very funny episode dave is right it's like packed with jokes and nick is certainly right that dave is usually like of of the six character main lead character he's he's usually like my sixth favorite but this is a good deployment of him and the uh the montage of all his past bad ideas was very amusing too. Uh, not, not to bring this up again yes but between my bad memory i just need to know uh-huh is dave or is it max that's part of mandonna <laughs> max Okay. And it's yeah, Mandonna or McDonald was the other one. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald. <Shut up. laughs> anyway, um, excellent presentation, great pick of uh, of of episode. Lots of funny stuff for everybody to do. Plus Grant, who's you know just gets to be in front of our eyes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sarah, uh, I always love seeing a happy endings on the canon to watch list. Uh, one of the things I love about this show is how similar it is to the way that friends of longstanding really talk to each other. Like there are some stagey setups, but like abbreviating Terry Hatcher to T hatch on the second mention (laughs) of her, um, just getting a breath of fresh. Um, the show's really good at those little moments. Like it, it knows exactly where to stop the joke chain. Like the thing with the waffles and the, like all the breakfast foods on the fan. You think it's going to cut away, and then one last waffle is like, <laughs> and the, the foley on it was flawless. Oh, and then yeah. right after that, she's like, hold your horses. And then it turns out that he's actually holding two stuffed horses that <laughs> let him complain about his relationship. Um, and Colin Hanks wearing a pair of massive Puff Daddy diamond stud earrings, just mm-hmm. perfect. Like, it's not commented on, but it's like... They got the light to hit it so that you would see it, and then it was on to the next thing. So it's just a it's just a pleasure to see that kind of craftsmanship, especially from someone who tends not to like sitcoms and to feel that if they're not going to be this um, tightly constructed and believable, like I know the whole point is that it's a situation comedy, but so frequently the situation depends on characters being stupid or like behaving as though they don't know each other in a way that's not credible that this show is like this is like the you know (laughs) sarah's tiny museum of sitcoms that she loves (laughs) and brooklyn 99 does this too that it's like it can be um like surrealist which is fine but it there's always a through line of believability about the relationships and that's like it keeps it from getting too weird and hectic but it's not too squishy like parks and rec might be i've seen two episodes of that and have been told that it's not something that i should watch because i won't like it uh but i loved this thank you for bringing it to us and great presentation okay so it's time for the vote tara ariana yay sarah d bunting yay and i'm gonna say yay too you know the max storyline was also very short it was there's no such thing as bad adam pally come on all right 
That means Happy Ending Season 2, Episode 16, Cocktails and Dreams. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Camp. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for Winner and a Loser of the Week. Sarah has our winner. Yes, I do. And the winner is Space. <laughs> so improbable. Uh, PBS is planning a one-day turnaround documentary about the full solar eclipse that is happening in August of 2017. And the one I'm really excited about because I was obsessed with this program when I was a kid. There's good, they're going to do a documentary about the Voyager spacecraft. Can't wait. Loser of the week. And Loser of the Week is the BBC because the <laughs> finale of Sherlock, which we just discussed, turns out it was leaked a day early by allegedly the Russians. <laughs> oh, no. um, Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. seriously. There, it, was, it was leaked a day early. And right before it, there was like an ad for something on Russian TV. So it apparently was like the Russian state TV station got it early and then someone there leaked it. Um, oh dear. The, the good thing about that is that, you know, un- unlike the whatever wishy washy stuff is going on in America, you know that the British are going to get on this <laughs> because, as Tara has said, everyone in England is a spy. Yep. <laughs> so they will, they will take them down and uh, maybe take down Trump in the process. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of spies and taking, I don't know, this is bad. It's game time. <laughs> <laughs> thought of it speaking of tradecraft you know what time it is <laughs> okay it is the fourth game time of the season tara won the first two games sarah won last week's and value guests are looking to get on the board today via nick Reinwell jones today Ooh. we are playing title treatment from greg lamb who earns himself an extra credit redeemable for an extra hot great mini topic of his choosing greg writes help I've wrote a bunch of spec scripts, which are all brilliant and sure to be bought in the room, but there's one problem. I've lost all the cover sheets and I've forgotten the episode titles. <laughs> Please help me come up with new titles appropriate for the show the spec script is written for. Dave will give you a log line of the script, and you have to come up with an episode title that fits the show's usual episode title convention. Oh my. As it happens, each script oh is boy. about game time, so you get an extra Greg point, which isn't a thing. <laughs> we'll count them with Dave points. All right. That is the exchange rate, apparently. One Greg to Dave point. Uh, you'll get a Dave Greg point if you can incorporate game time into the episode title somehow, but I'll just be judging it on whether you uh, nail the episode uh, convention. So here is an example. The constant billiard school for girls is scandalized by news on the blog that Blair and uh, Serena cheated on the game time game that got them got them into Harvard. All right, so we'll speak out loud for this one. The show is Gossip Girl. All right, so I'm going to admit Tara and Sarah are going to have a big advantage in this game because they've edited TV for a long time and they probably picked up on a lot of these conventions some mm-hmm. of them are easy some of them are hard yeah so do you know the convention of gossip girl i don't no gossip girls are plays on movie titles the 
Uh, oh, I okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this one could be the crying game time or the hunger's game time or something like that. Sure. And that's how the game is played. Okay. Makes sense? Nah, we'll see. We will start with Sarah. Sarah, Tara, Nick is our order. Are we ready to play title treatment? We'll I guess. guess. All right. <laughs> We're starting everybody off with some easy ones, okay? Okay. Sarah D. Bunting. Monica and Rachel come to blows over the interpretation of a game time clue. Monica okay. and Rachel come to blows over the interpretation of a game time clue. Uh, uh, the one with the Westing game time? I don't know. That's fine. The <laughs> one where is what we were looking for. Okay. Tariano, okay. JD, and Elliot sneak away from Dr. Cox to play TV trivia in the hospital morgue. My game time. Nick Reinwell Jones. Jerry dates a great girl whose only fault is being too competitive at trivia. <laughs> the game time. See? All right. <laughs> okay, Everybody yeah, gets yeah. it? Yes. All right. Sarah yeah, D. That's Bunting. the only one I'm going to get. <laughs> Five teams go to Mumbai, India. One team must conquer a Bollywood-themed game time to earn the fast forward. By the way, our first answers were Friends, Scrubs, and Seinfeld, in case you were wondering. Yes. Okay. This is the amazing race. Yeah. Uh, but the convention is like quotes from the from the episode, right? Yeah. So it would be quote um honey i shrunk the game time unquote <laughs> this quotes from a contestant his example was i can't believe this is how we play game time okay fair Tara enough Ariano. yeah tyra teaches the aspiring models a fierce runway walk to the beat of famous tv songs tv theme songs the girl who walked to tv theme songs <laughs> the girl who <laughs> correct nick reinwell jones Sarah Walker must help Chuck decipher information from the intersect in order to decode a secret message contained in game time clues. Uh, I don't know the Chuck convention. Um, mission game time. It's Chuck versus whatever, right? Chuck versus oh. game time. Right. Sarah guess, D. Though. Bunting. I didn't remember that. Elliot hacks into the files where the game time answers are kept. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, spell this one out, probably. <laughs> nine aim dot time. Each episode of Mr. Robot nice. is formatted like a computer file name. Correct. Tara Ariano. Yeah. The study group finds itself in an entire episode that is in the style of various TV game shows, all hosted by the Dean. Um, I. I know it's community, but I don't know what their overarching thing is. Uh, they are faux college course oh, titles. Right. This could be, oh, for right. example, of course, of course, Introductory course, Game Time Analysis 101. Sure, sure. Back to Nick. The gang starts playing in a trivia league, and Charlie becomes obsessed with becoming the best trivia player in Philadelphia. Dennis is upset at everyone's competitiveness. Um, the gang plays game time. Correct. That was always sunny in Philadelphia. Sarah Bunting. The loser of game time is turned into pate by Dr. Lecter. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Okay. Is turned into pate by Dr. Lecter. Um, uh, amuse-bouche colon game time. <laughs> 
Name of a foreignary, for, foreignary, foreign culinary uh, <laughs> foreign food culinary. item thing is the convention there. Tara Ariano. Yep. Meredith tries to get McDreamy to participate in game night after their rounds. Um, Ain't no game time high enough. I, I think it's like songs, Ooh, nice right? Song. Popular song titles, oh, okay. examples, yeah. games Good without job. frontiers. Stuff sure. like that. Uh, that's a better one. Nick Reinwell Jones. Jules becomes crazed when Travis stays too long from the cul-de-sacs game night. Stays away too long from the cul-de-sacs game night. Uh, okay, I know that's Cougar Town, but I don't know the convention. So. Uh-huh. It's Tom Petty songs? Tom Petty songs, yeah. I won't back uh, down or any other Tom Petty song. All right, that's our first score break. Here we go. Very close game. Nick has two. I have three. Sarah's in the lead with four. All right. So, oh yeah, right that. Guys, it's time for the Adam Grossworth Equalizer Challenge. Who's in last place again? Woo, Nick. Nick. Here we go, Nick. Are you ready? Does Nick know how this works? Maybe you didn't listen to last week. Oh, you haven't listened to it? Okay. The person who is in last place when the Equalizer Challenge happens at every regulation score break if they can answer three of the six questions on this 1985 Trivial Pursuit TV card, <laughs> they will get two points added to their score. All right. Are you ready? Yes. There's no categories for these. They're all, they're subcategory lists. What do Mork's eggs pop out of? <laughs> oh, geez. Nick doesn't Ew. know. He's uh, a baby. Right. Space. <laughs> uh, his eye. <laughs> His belly button. Uh, Who interviewed Boy uh, George on the Tonight Show? Um, I mean, Johnny Carson's too obvious. So, Joan Rivers. That's one. Hey. Nice. Who did Lou Grant mean in saying he went to the parade dressed as Peter Peanut, and a rogue elephant tried to shell him? Uh, this is in the canon too. This episode. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I don't know. That's Chuckles the Clown. Chuckles uh, the Clown. What series features Jonathan Sm- Jonathan Smith and his sidekick Mark? Uh, Jonathan Smith and his sidekick Mark. Yep. Uh, that's Highway to Heaven. What bionic cartoon dog made his debut in 1976? Bionic cartoon dog? Yeah. uh, Brain? Dynomut. All right, Uh, you can't get it, but here's the last question. What dynasty character's dead sister was named Iris? (laughs) Uh, I think this was an answer last week. Sarah's name with my wife. I'm going to say Alexis. (laughs) Close. Crystal. All right, back to the game. Valiant effort, Nick. Sarah D. Bunting. Game Time Industries has their holiday party, but embarrasses everyone in the catering company by recognizing them from their various bit parts on TV shows. Oh, not only can I not remember the name of this show, I don't know the naming convention. I don't know. Benson. Tara, do you remember the name? No. Uh, it's Party Down. Oh, uh-huh. And it's the course. name yeah, of a yeah. client's party. So, for example, sure. Game Time Industries Christmas Party. Got it. Tara mm, Ariana. Gotcha. Yep. Laura sure. and Remington are hired to travel to Monaco to find out who has rigged the casino's game time table. Um, well, it's Remington Steel, but I don't know what their convention is either. You can take a guess. Uh, the game time case? 
It's a steel pun. Steel oh. in the game would okay. be an example. Oh. Nick Reinwell Jones. Penny grows tired of Sheldon and Leonard's attempt to catalog every game time question in history. Well, <laughs> it's been worth it not watching Big Bang Theory, so I... Sorry. <laughs> Anybody? It's like the game time formulation or something. Yeah. Each one's a uh, fake scientific sounding theory or formula yeah. or something like that. Sarah D. Bunting. <laughs> Jack's trivia night is interrupted by news of a terrorist plot to assassinate puzzle <laughs> celebrity Trick Payne. Will CTE listen? Oh, no, Trip. Yeah, poor Trip. C-E-T? No, read it again. I was talked over it. Jack's trivia night is interrupted by news of a terrorist plot to assassinate puzzle celebrity Trip Payne. Will C-T-E listen? C-T-U, I think. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure it's C-T-U. So that's, uh, I don't know. Let's go with uh, game time 2, colon, 3 p.m. to 4 (laughs) p.m.? Yep. Nice. Day 9, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., that kind of thing. All right, this is 17. Spread Eagle. Or Tara. Uh-huh. Susan and Mike throw a game party at their house, which brings out some of the worst in the residents of Wisteria Lane. Oh, God. Well, it's Desperate Housewives, but I don't remember what their theme is either. Stephen Sondheim song titles. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. Tara's done. So that means this Nick. Rebecca <laughs> tries to get Josh's attention by winning the musical episodes of Television Quiz. Oh, okay. Um, can I help Josh win game time? Nice. Mentions nice. Josh from the main character's point of view is the convention. For example, if Josh were here, I'd totally win game time is Which the example. Is crazy ex-girlfriend. Yes, crazy ex-girlfriend. Sorry. Sarah D. Bunting, Perry, defends a client accused of grand theft larceny over a heist of one million Dave points. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if Perry Mason's, um, this is Perry Mason's thing, but let's go with the case of the stolen game time. Nice. Yep, the case of the Tara Ariano. Yes. An exclusive Los Angeles neighborhood is rocked by the murder of a popular game time contestant, ADA Decker. That's two Ks. Uh-huh. Prosecutes the sleazy movie uh-huh. producer who is the lead suspect. Oh, picky. Uh, oh, there's a little clue. Sarah just said, oh, picky. Well, I assume it's Law and Order Los Angeles, but I don't know anything about them. No. Do you know either, the name actually. of the convention, Sarah D. Bunton? I don't, even though I just wrote a piece about it last week. Each episode there is, is the name of a neighborhood in Los Angeles. Oh. No. Silver Lake, Westwood, sure. that kind of thing. Okay. Nick Reinwell Jones, Booth and Brendan... Brennan. Brennan. Examine a rotting corpse. The only clue they find is a piece of paper with the words, do you know what time it is? Uh, I mean, this is Bones, so I... The game time Bones? <laughs> it's the, the blank, blank in, in the blank. blank. So yeah. the time in the game or something uh, like that. Sarah clue. D. I like that. Bunting Avery and the Cyber Crime Division investigate a podcast which seems to be linked to a terrorist cell. Um, the Game Time Wizard? Who titles? CSI? You know what? I'm going to give you that on a technicality. Uh, the nice. title treatment is 
bad allusions to uh, technology, like Earl interrupted or Wi-Fi question mark. His okay. examples are Gamergate time or to hack with it. But a wizard gotcha. is a thing that you have in software to get you through uh, software like installation processes. Sarah. So I'm going to give you that one on a technicality. <laughs> nice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Tara Ariano. Yes. McGarrett investigates a new couple on the island who turn out to be running an international gaming conspiracy. Um, Aloha Game Time. <laughs> okay. That's Hawaii Five O. Nice. Oh, the last one was CSI Cyber. Do we even mention that? No, but okay. Uh, Hawaii Five O modern reboot. A Hawaiian word or phrase are the titles. Bring All us right. into our second score break. Nick Reinwell Jones. Dick is mystified, then delighted that Earth has created such an intense battle of wits as game time. Okay, third rock from the sun, um, but I don't know their convention. Anybody? No. Uh, no. It contains Dick in the title, so oh. <laughs> do you know what time it is? It's time. <laughs> All right, score break. Yes. Well, Sarah is running away with this thing. Nick has three, I have four, Sarah has seven. All right, that was question 24 Ooh. of 36, but it's time. The Adam Grossworth Equalizer Challenge. Who's in last place, please, Star? Nick. Nick, here's your All second All right, let's chance. see if I can embarrass myself some more. Ooh. Here we go. What horse did Beauty portray? What horse? What horse did Beauty? Oh, exactly. Do you know? Uh, Mr. Ed? No, Fury. You know, Fury the horse. <laughs> what TV miniseries first brought Brian Brown hey, and Rachel Ward together? Oh. Oh. Um, FX the series? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a thing, and I know Thornburg. Oh, here's one. If you don't get it, you haven't been listening. What was the short-lived sequel to Mash? After Mash. There's one. Hey. What food company's name appeared before Mystery Theater, Suspense Theater, and Television Theater? Uh, food company name. Duncan Hines. Ooh. Oh, is it Kraft? Kraft. Oh. Yep. Kraft. All right, oh, got to get these two. What CBS News anchor did ABC Honcho, <laughs> I love seeing that in print, <laughs> Rune Arledge, Arledge try yeah. to woo with, how much is he worth over 10 years is incalculable. How much he is worth over 10 years is incalculable. Uh, newscaster. Say the, CBS say the first newscaster. part. Yeah, there you go. CBS what CBS uh, Newscaster did the Dan ABC Rather? guy say, how much is he worth over did, 10 years? He said Dan, Dan Rather. Rather. Nice. All right. All right. Nice. Ooh, okay. Ooh, okay. This is for two <laughs> points. Who is, quote, a lone crusader in a dangerous world? Quiet Sarah debunting. <laughs> a lone crusader. Oh, uh, uh, Knight Rider. Michael Knight. Hey! Michael Knight. <laughs> two points. So what are the scores now? So now the scores are I'm in last place with four. Nick has five and Sarah has seven. All right. So I think technically it is still anybody's game. We're back to Sarah. Chairman Kaga. Reveals <laughs> that the two chefs must create dishes based on television shows. Hmm. Hello? Uh, okay. Chef Battle Game Time? Uh, the, yeah, I'm going to give you that. It's yeah. just Battle Whatever. Oh, okay. Um, she, that's, but she got you're, it. You contain the right answer, so I'm going to give you that. Thank S you. Tara. Yeah. 
Patrick Jane closes in on the serial killer, Red John, by closely observing patterns in game time questions. It's the mentalist. I have no idea how they're named. Contains a color in the title oh. or an allusion to a color such as blue is the warmest game time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely do that one. That took a turn, as it were. <laughs> Donna and uh, Eric take their basement pot parties to the next level with TV actor identification games, Nick. Oh, um, okay. Uh, that game time. Incorrect. Uh, that 70s show was titles of 70s songs. So uh, another brick in the wall, stairway to heaven, sure. stuff like that. Sarah D. Bunting Kilgrave uses his mind control power on Jessica to win game time. <laughs> oh, man. Shit. I don't remember the convention for. I don't remember the convention for Jessica Jones. I don't know. Anybody? No, I don't AKA, either. AKA game time. Oh, exactly. oh sure. Picky. Tara. Yeah. Monk's investigation into the missing Dave points is hampered by his OCD reactions to Dave's mispronunciations of names. <laughs> oh, picky. Well, it's Monk, but I don't know what their thing is. Oh. Uh, Sarah, do you Sarah know? You, right? yeah, Sarah uh, Mr. Monk plays game time. Mr. Monk oh, plays game time was, shit. in fact, the example. <clears throat> Nick. Kimmy's sunny disposition in the face of horrible circumstances is the perfect preparation for a round of hot potato. Kimmy plays game time, exclamation point. <laughs> Correct. Nice. That was unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Sarah, a friendly lesbian trivia competition leads to a falling out between Bet and Tina while Jenny flirts with the new girl in the group, a professional tennis player. Oh, well... I think it's the L word, but I'm not. Sh I'm just gonna guess at their naming convention, which was something with "girl" in the title. Maybe it was "girls just want to have game time." Every title starts with the starts letter with the L. Oh. So <sighs> loving game time. That's my second choice. <laughs> Tara. Yes. yes. Max and Caroline try to drum up business at the dessert bar. Dessert bar by hosting <laughs> game time. Max and Caroline. Um. Okay. Uh, two game show? girls? It's two grow girls, but I don't know what their thing is. And the oh, game time. Shit. All right. Nick, Andy's stint as an extra on the game time movie adaptation is cut short as he runs afoul of the star, Taylor Kitsch. Andy. I will give you a hint. Uh, don't get caught up on Taylor Kitsch. Right. Uh, Andy, you want to pay attention to? Andy. No, I don't know what show this is. Okay. Tara, do you know? It's extras. And so the title would be? Oh, yeah. Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch, correct. Yeah. <laughs> the name of the actual star in the fictional film in an extra episode. All right, non, this isn't a equalizer score break, but everybody has one question left, so I want to hear the scores. All right, I have four, Nick has six, Sarah has eight. All right, so Sarah has already won, but let's close it out. Matt LeBlanc vies for the role of David T. Cole in the Game Time <laughs> TV adaptation, but has to hope his existing sitcom is canceled first. Oh, well, this is episodes, but I'm not sure. Um, I hope it's episodes. I'm not sure what their naming convention is. So, like, how about um, episode 17, the Game Time? 
It's no, just hey. episode number, so I'm going to give you that one. Tara? Yes. Sam leaps into the body of Mark Blankenship days before his oh, appearance on Jeopardy in order to help reach the winner's circle. It's Quantum Leap. Oh, is it like the date? Is it like January 17th, 2017? Ooh, you're really close, but not complete. It's title and the date. So this would be like Jeopardy, December 12th, 2015. Close, close. All right, Nick. The Tick and Arthur face their greatest enemy yet, the Game Master, brackets, David T. Cole. Oh, great. This is where I I lose all my fans by admitting that I've never seen The Tick. Mm. I will give you a hint, Nick. This format was shared in another answer I believe you didn't get. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. That narrows it down. (laughs) Thanks, Game Master. Well, I don't, I I, I mean, just just think about it for a while and, 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 you know, just chuck an answer out. (laughs) Oh, no, I got that one. I don't know. Tick versus trivia. Uh, Tick versus trivia. All right, let's hear the final scores, please, Tar. Final scores. Me with four. Nick with six. Sarah, our victor, with nine. All right. Sarah! Sarah. Congratulations, Sarah. Thank and you. Let's do the end. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> there was no shits and giggles in that one, because if it was a tie, I was going to declare a winner based on the quality of their... <laughs> fake Fair titles. Uh, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We used deductive reasoning to come to the conclusion that Sherlock's season and possible series finale wasn't all that great. Sarah looked over the evidence on Is OJ Innocent and Beware the Slender Man and Amy let us know why she is not a crossover crackpot. We went around the dial with stops at uh, Late Night with Seth Meyers comedy specials from Netflix, Foils War, and Frontier before Nick made us all happy with his pitch for happy endings, cocktails, and dreams for the canon. We crown winners and losers of the week, and Sarah was the winner of this week's Game Time. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariana, Sarah D. Bunting, so if anyone asks, we're dwarves. And Nick Reinwell-Jones. I don't want your life. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. So you're all having sex dreams about Dave? I mean, he's like a brother. <laughs> <laughs> just a dream. <laughs> this has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Okay, you we've had a problem here. A dramatic rescue mission from the depths of space. You're 200,000 miles out. You're in a spacecraft that's dying. 13 Minutes to the Moon Season 2 tells the real story of Apollo 13. There's one whole side of that 
I literally got on my knees and prayed. 13 minutes to the moon. We don't have much time. From the BBC World Service. We're not going to the moon anymore. We're going to just be damn lucky to get home. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. 